Welcome to Your Own Words, a podcast that celebrates the love of reading with real people and real books, both critically acclaimed and slated. Listeners are encouraged to read along and join the journey to the libraries of friends newly discovered. This podcast may contain spoilers, feminist rants, curse words and mispronunciations of names, cities and more. Happy lockdown week. I have no However, idea. It's I, I, month, I don't know. year. I don't know. No idea. I've... 2020. <laughs> Is it happy, still 2020? Happy 2020. <laughs> Who even knows anymore? Um, we're still in lockdown. We're figuring out new and exciting ways of trying to do this whole recording thing. So we'll see how uh, how we go this, this time around. Uh how are how are you holding up? I'm I'm all right. I'm you know traversing the household. You've been doing like so much DIY house <laughs> projects, though. I'm actually you're making me feel really bad about myself. I keep I, I essentially get a bit bored and look around whatever room I'm currently in for something that I can manipulate, mm. um, and then I spend a couple of hours manipulating it. And then I go find something else. See, I feel like I spend uh, some time looking around, looking at things that I should do in whatever room I'm in, and then actively not doing any of it. (laughs) (laughs) And pressing play on the newest true crime docuseries. Yeah, have you finished that now? I have finished The Innocence Files, and well it is spectacularly good and very frustrating. And uh, if you want something to make you angry at the government, <laughs> specifically <laughs> the that, American government. Isn't that every day now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you want someone to make you angry at the government, wake up in the morning. Mm, very true. <laughs> um, but um, I'm getting like a little bit better in my reading, I'm finding, I'm picking up the pace a little bit still not yeah. even close to you as usual but I haven't read in I was gonna say ages <laughs> you're the constantly last like two days like literally the next book we're doing a podcast on we've been waiting for it to arrive and then you're like oh I guess I could just do the audiobook just in case and I'm on like the seventh chapter and you finished it like a week ago <laughs> Yeah, the, and the book still hasn't come because I don't get posts anymore, apparently. Mm, we'll get there. Um, yeah. That said, I super duper enjoyed and like swallowed up this awesome book that we're talking about today. And I'm so excited to uh, talk to our guest about why she chose it and what it means to her because it's full of all sorts of <laughs> themes. It's a bit mad, this. I think it's um, it's, it's a short story. It's full of themes. <laughs> well done, high end literary review right there. Um, but it is, I think, maybe because we've both been saying now for what three, four, however fucking long this has been going on that it's been hard to focus, and a few guests have also said it's been hard to focus. But this is today's book is short stories, and I feel like maybe this might be a good time to delve into short stories, which. For me, I like, I'm not a short story person at all. I don't know why. Hmm. I just, for some, I have loads of books of short stories. I just never read them. I don't know what it is about that format. It just, I don't know. It's not my go-to. But I feel like where I'm struggling to maybe sit down and just get through 300 pages of 
a book this is maybe the time for short stories <laughs> yeah so you can at least feel like you're accomplishing something it's, yeah it's these, like three small, pages <laughs> small doses of i read a whole book yeah. <laughs> i fully finished that story from beginning to end <laughs> yeah short stories and beatrix potter i think is maybe the way forward <laughs> so do you want to start us off with uh telling us who this author is i'm excited yeah. to learn more about her because i know nothing of her I got her um, bio off her website, which I must say is like the re- a really calming web-based experience. I just recommend clicking on her website okay. and the first opening page is just really calming. Oh, I'm excited. I'll do that. It, makes, it makes sense to you when you go on it, but I, I just wasn't expecting it because normally with a website, you just get like words and shit. And mm. I sort of went there and I was like, oh, Zen. Cool. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. Miss Carmen Maria Machade. Oh, is that who it is? That's who it is. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> it's the big reveal. Good God. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Carmen Maria Machado is the author of the best-selling memoir in the Dream House and the short story collection, Her Body and Other Parties. She has been a finalist for the National Book Award and the winner of the Bard Fiction Prize, the Lambda Literary Award for Lesbian Fiction, the Brooklyn Public Library Literature Prize, the Shirley Jackson Award, and a National Book Critics Circle's John Leonard Prize. Wow. <sighs> They're all really long-winded. <laughs> In 2018, the New York Times listed her body and other parties as a member of the new Vanguard, one of 15 remarkable books by women that is shaping the way we read and write in the 21st century. That's kind of cool. Her essays, fiction and criticism have appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, Granta, Harper's Bazaar, Tin House, Conjunctions, McSweeney's Quarterly Concern, The Believer, Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy, Best American Non-Required Reading, and elsewhere. (laughs) I love whoever wrote her bio. I hope it's her. It's brilliant. Um, She holds an MFA from the Iowa Writers Workshop and has been awarded fellowships and residencies from the Guggenheim Foundation, Elizabeth George Foundation, Sintas Foundation, Yaddo, Hedgebrook, and the Miele Colony for the Arts. Miele? Sure. Yeah? That thing. Um, (laughs) She is a writer in residence at the University of Pennsylvania and lives in Philadelphia with her wife. She sounds cool. She sounds cool. And the front page of her website is mega zen. So what else do we need right now other than a long list of things which have many words in? (laughs) (sighs) Well, I mean, my the synopsis that I found from Grey Wolf Press, uh, her publisher is equally as wordy are you ready and complicated i'm not i'm not ready this is going to be edited so beautifully but i am sure as you listen to this just imagine that i have stumbled over my words about seventy-five thousand times um beck feel free to like go get a drink have a nap while i try to accomplish i could do a lie down is it going to be like a sialia marbles i mean let's syndrome because i really wish we could get over that and stop talking about it <laughs> It's really traumatic for me. It's triggering. <laughs> Hi, Katie. Love you. <laughs> okay. Synopsis time. In her body and other parties, Carmen Maria Machado blithely demolishes the arbitrary borders between psychological realism and science fiction, comedy and horror, fantasy and fabulism. While her work has earned her comparisons to Karen Russell and Kelly Link, she has a voice that is all her own. In this eclectic and provocative debut, Machado bends genre to shape startling narratives that map the realities of women's lives and the violence visited upon their bodies. 
A wife refuses her husband's entreaties to remove the green ribbon around her neck. A woman recounts her sexual encounters as a plague slowly consumes humanity. little on the nose there. We'll talk about that later. Uh, A sales clerk in a mall makes a horrifying discovery within the seams of the store's prom dresses. One woman's surgery-induced weight loss results in an unwanted house guest. And in the Brevera novella, Especially Heinous, Machado reimagines every episode of Law & Order Special Victims Unit, a show we naively assumed had shown it all, generating a phantasmagoric police procedural full of doppelgangers, ghosts, and girls with bells for eyes. Earthly and otherworldly, antic and sexy, queer and caustic, comic and deadly serious, her body and other parties swings from horrific violence to the most exquisite sentiment. In their explosive originality, these stories enlarge the possibilities of contemporary fiction. Blah. So that's the book. It's amazing. I'm I'm assuming by that synopsis you're already in, but if not, hopefully uh, by the end of this episode you will. If not, maybe the fact that it is bright, luminous green will help you out because that's actually why I bought it. So, um... if your color-coded bookshelves are missing a startling <laughs> lime green, then who cares about what's inside it? Please buy this book. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, do you want to introduce our guest? No. Yes, yes, please. Today's guest, Lynn's McLeod, is a writer and poet from West Lothian, Scotland. She has a master's in creative writing from the Open University. She achieved both her bachelor's and master's while working full-time as a contracts administrator and is a self-confessed workaholic. That's the opposite of me completely. (laughs) Her short comedy story, Squeak, was chosen as the lead story in the Scottish Book Trust's Blether Anthology 2019 and also ran in Scotsman and on Scottish radio. Her short stories and poems have been published widely. So far, she has spent the pandemic polishing her novel Beast, which is best described as Beauty and the Beast meets the remains of the day, or possibly Downton Abbey with more murders. (laughs) She's a fan of anti-heroes and enjoys picnics in the moral grey area. All right. Uh, so, Linz, welcome to your own words. Thank you so much for being here. We're super stoked. Hi. Thank you guys Hi. for having me. Hello. Hello. Just want to start off like the only question anyone has for anyone right now is how's uh, how are you doing in this lockdown? <laughs> you know, I, I feel like an absolute traitor to my generation because I've been working out and I'm my novel, so I'm having a really good time. <laughs> oh, I'm really, really happy being inside. Um, I actually live alone and uh, I have, I'm in a long distance relationship. My girlfriend lives in New York, so we spend a lot of time you know like video chatting anyway and prior to the last time I saw her I'd basically spent the last probably six weeks working at my full-time job and then staying there until 10 o'clock writing my novel so I didn't really have much of a life to go back to at this point so (laughs) me and my uh, restaurant sized bag of buttermilk pancake mix are having a really good time so I'm actually like at the point where I'm like if I put googly eyes on it I could give it a name it could you know but is that too far I'm not sure (laughs) so you're loving life i've just realized that saying that out loud that makes me sound a lot less sane than i meant it (laughs) no no i swear everything here is okay (laughs) i've got this i'm perfectly coping i'm normal there's nothing to worry about i'm talking to a handbag it's all good (laughs) no like genuinely it's fine i'm really just like i'm really structured anyway so i as i'm working from home now i'm getting through a lot more books there's no excuse for me not to exercise because occasionally there's boredom so yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. I'm literally, nice. I'm, I'm really jealous of, I was literally saying in the intro when Beck and I were bantering, like she's been doing like so many DIY household projects and <laughs> I, I have nothing to, I'm wearing yoga gear right now. I slept in this. <laughs> What is it? What's that saying? Like, dress as the person you want to be. Is that what you're doing? That's 100% <laughs> you're like, right. I will just keep in it until I become that person. You're going to bury me in this yoga gear. <laughs> I oh, mean, wow. how, how do I dress like Laura Dern in the time of the pandemic? You know, that's, that's, that's hard to... <laughs> So I won't ask what the unexpected perk is because it sounds like everything is a perk. But is there, um, is there one thing that you can think of that you like miss a ton right now? Um, honestly, I, I want to say like the, the 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 nice answer, I guess, is uh, that I I was really looking forward to my girlfriend visiting. We were supposed to go to Copenhagen. Oh. It was going to be our first like couples vacation, and uh, Denmark was one of the first places to close. And I was really gutted because I've been learning Danish. Um, so <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. And also, I just bought you know my first set of business cards before this happened. So I thought, okay, universe, like you've made your point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I should just stay inside forever. But actually, if I'm going to be really honest, what I miss is uh, a sausage bean and cheese melt from Greg's. Um, I I think about it several times a day and it will be the first thing I do. Like my aunt called me yesterday and she said, you know, when this is over, we're going to have a party. And I was like, yeah, yeah. But what I was thinking about was a sausage bean and cheese melt, (laughs) possibly followed by a gingerbread man. So nice. I do. I do miss the vegan sausage roll from the Greg's, which is... I just, I think I miss, um, this is going to sound really awful. I miss other people making coffee for me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, fair, you know, like there's something nice about, you know, I bake quite a lot and I cook quite a lot. So I'm, I'm doing pretty well uh, for myself at home, but there are certain things that you just can't make for yourself that it's just better when other people make. I don't have outside space, so I miss air. (laughs) <laughs> I just which it sounds very stupid I just sort of miss sitting outside mm. and just feeling it like not you know not going for a walk or doing a thing but just sitting in fresh air yeah. it's something that I have never thought about I've, it's never bothered me that I don't have outside space before because there are parks like there's literally one two minutes that way and there's one 30 seconds that way and they're all over the bloody place but I just I really miss just sitting outside for not five minutes, ten minutes, but just yeah, <laughs> being in fresh air. So I am very much looking forward to doing that. All right, let's let's before we go too far down a deep deep pit of sorrow. Um, I would like to ask a more fun question. Uh, Beast sounds really really cool. Um, so this is the novel you are currently polishing. Yes, yes. Can you tell us uh, a bit more about it? Yes, I'd love to. Um, it's actually, it's been super fun to write. A lot of the time I write something that I want to read, um, if it doesn't exist already. And so that can create some very weird things, but, um, it came about because I was joking with him about, um, how in the Disney animated version of Beauty and the Beast, which is a classic and we all kind of watched it growing up, um, Chip is not Mrs. Potts' son. I mean, let's be real. She's too old, okay? So like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, logically, it's it's incorrect. It's factually wrong. Um, so I had a bit of a rant at some point about um, how this, you know, didn't seem right and how I wondered whose son he really was. And it all kind of sprung from from that one thought um, so I created a kind of a backstory for him and I also wondered why 
you know, this young prince was alone in the castle. You know, he was obviously 11 at the time of, of the, the witch's first appearance. And I thought, you know, what is an 11 year old doing alone in a castle? And why is he answering the door? Where are the servants? And, you know, there were a lot of things that didn't add up. So, um, <laughs> I like to take a joke far too far, and so I wrote a novel based on it. <laughs> um, so essentially, it's um, it follows uh, the point of view of the butler, Le Majordome. So I actually set it in France in 1793, so it's basically... Um, it's in one of the more rural areas so obviously the revolution is happening but it hasn't kind of quite got there or it's sort of just getting there at the start of the novel and it follows the butler's point of view Um, the peasants have kind of come and abducted the adults from his castle and taken them away and and they just find out that they've been guillotined and the only people who are left of that noble family are uh, the, the prince who will grow up to be the beast later and also the baby who's actually his um, older brother's illegitimate son um, and actually illegitimate son with the witch and so it creates a really interesting kind of backstory for him so obviously the young prince he's very young he's not handling his grief very well and he's just becoming this really terrible person with no one to kind of discipline him or, or provide a guiding hand and the baby is starting to demonstrate some magical powers and they are hearing rumors about you know the army potentially coming back they're hearing about um a, a witch somewhere who is apparently on the rampage looking for her baby who has been abducted. So there's a lot of, you know, foreshadowing of threats coming. And, you know, whenever you kind of think it's one angle, it kind of turns out to be another. Um, It's been really fun to write because the main character is not likable. He's very much an anti-hero. And a lot of my family and friends who've read some of the chapters have said they find themselves actively annoyed by him. But at the same time, they want to read because they want to find out what happens to him. And and there are moments where they really pity him, but then they're annoyed at me for making me <laughs> making them pity him. Um, so there's a lot of complex feelings going on. It's it's quite dark. It's kind of I always describe it as um, Beauty and the Beast meets The Remains of the Day. But actually, it is a bit more like if you like Downton Abbey, but you wish something happened, this. So <laughs> you know, would you like steaks? Okay, here they are. Because um, <laughs> Downton Abbey is very much like taking your brain and, and sort of gently sliding it into a hot bath and then taking it out again with nothing, no real discernible change to it. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed writing it. And at the end of the book, uh, it's, I guess, it's not a spoiler to say because it's pretty obvious. Um, the servants turn into furniture over months. So mm. there's a lot of body horror. Uh, going on there because they kind of know thing and they can't really do anything about it and that is really fun as well um I, I don't like being kind to my reader obviously <laughs> <laughs> I really just want to like describe Beck's face <laughs> <laughs> yeah please do <laughs> I don't Feeling know how to. very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I can always feel myself fusing to this chair as you were describing. Yeah, it. imagining what that would feel like is pretty horrifying. I don't, want to, I don't want to know what that feels this like. This is pretty much what's happening right now if I don't do this yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I will just you, become stiff. You are going to become your own fit. Didn't I tell you yesterday yeah. I think my whole body has atrophied because I'm not doing any physical activity. So... Basically, if you need, you know, if you need any like real life studies, <laughs> just bring me and I'll tell you what it feels like. Excellent. And I, <laughs> this is not my best segue work, but um, if if 
the book were to be published, mm-hmm. um, would the preferred format <laughs> be a paperback or a hardback? I.e., uh, which team would you uh, would you side with? Mm. See, that's a really hard one, and I thought about this, and I, I really struggle with it. Um, I have a lot of both. Um, I think because my a lot of my hardbacks are signed. I like I, I for some reason those feel like more collectible and more precious. Mm. But when I'm thinking about taking something like on a, on a train journey or a bus journey. Um, I would think about a paperback because it's more so I guess I would probably go with paperback because it feels slightly more accessible (laughs) (laughs) Alison wants to move on from that very quickly I mean I just kind of figured I've lost hope this season Um, nobody has nobody there's a holiness It's just an expectation but now. I was back- like, oh, she says she has lots of both. No, don't get your hopes up. No one wants to read a hardback. That is what we're coming out of here. Like, people think they look no, pretty I- on a shelf or that they have value, but no one actually wants to read them. I do. I mean, yeah. Apart from you. Actually, in the last sort of month, I've been reading a little more and the more more of them have been hardbacks, actually. Probably because I'm getting through my collection now. Um, right. <laughs> but there are definitely books that I bought in hardback and then really wished I hadn't. <laughs> but only because they were terrible. <laughs> Fair we won't ask you to name names. <laughs> I desperately want to. <laughs> I, I often find that I'm like describing books to my friends. I'm good at like summarizing things very quickly. So you don't actually, you feel like you've read it, but you don't have to. <laughs> Perfect. Mm-hmm. That's what we need. Well, on that note, would you like to... Do you want to do that for this bit? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, You know, I just, I feel bad that I've just said that because obviously it's it's pretty hard to summarise a a short story collection, even at the best of times. But um, Her Body and Other Parties covers a lot in a short space of time. And at the same time, it manages to be a very compact, dense exploration of those themes. So... um, I've in my notes that I've done um, because I'm still in that master's headspace where I'm like, I must explain and justify my things. Um, (laughs) I've basically described it as a collection of short stories with their own unique ideas, but which are tied together with overarching themes of identity, gender and sexuality. Um, So each of the stories is quite different uh, in terms of both the actual prose itself and the formatting. You know, she's not afraid to kind of push boundaries in terms of formatting, which is something that I loved as a writer. And it kind of blew my mind watching her do that. Um, She dips into like a variety of genres. So you've got like fairy tale, uh, sci-fi, horror and some literary fiction as well. But, you know, ultimately the underlying meaning of each um, story kind of comes together in this in this collection. So um, obviously, like Angela Carter's is a, a great one to mention here because she subverted fairy tales in a really fantastic and, and violent and sexualized and interesting way and gave women back some agency. And they became, you know, in her hands, you know, much more feminist. Uh, women actually had power. They were the protagonists, but not, um, you know, passively uh, reacting. They were active, you know, characters in their own stories. And... For Carmen Machado, there is a sense that she really understands that at, at a really base level. Um, she is not afraid to have kind of messed up fairy tales. There's one story in particular, which is um, where she explores um, an abusive relationship, which has left her with a child between two women. And that's not something that has traditionally been explored a lot 
in kind of mainstream fiction. It's something that she experienced um, herself, and you can really read into that. Um, and yeah, it's it's something that uh, that I also know quite well. And so it really spoke to me. And the quote that I've picked is actually from that story. But I think the the very beginning, the first story is called The Husband Stitch. And even on the first page, you can tell she's actually written out um, how to read this story. She's actually given you directions on how to read the story. She's written it as characters in a play. She's described each one of them. And they are gut punches, each and every one. Like, would you mind if I read that? Because I thought that was a... Not at all. A, Please yeah. do. This really, from the first paragraph, like, you know what you're getting from this. So uh, this is from The Husband Stitch. It's the very first. So if you read the story out loud, please use the following voices. Me, as a child, high-pitched, forgettable. As a woman, the same. I mean, ow. The boy who will grow into a man and be my spouse. Robust with serendipity. My father. Kind, booming. Like your father. Or the man you wish was your father. My son. As a small child, gentle, sounding with the faintest of lisps, as a man like my husband, all other women interchangeable with my own. That, I remember picking up this book and reading that and thinking, okay, I'm, I'm just walking straight. I was walking to the register before I realised what I was doing. <sighs> I, it was just such a stunning way to begin that collection. Yeah. Straight away, you know, you are not um in charge she is in charge she's telling you exactly what to do and you're just kind of being strapped into this roller coaster ride that's about to happen uh which is yeah. fantastic i think i felt um similarly and i do this a lot because i just get really excited about really good books but i think back i don't remember but i'm pretty sure i texted you, you sent me that yeah i was like <laughs> page one like i'm like oh my god page one i'm obsessed like right which i did with the bloody chamber and like there are you know those books that on the first page you're just like oh, yo, I'm going to love this. Mm -hmm. I, I don't even have to question it. Getting five stars on Goodreads before I even turned the page. Exactly. And it, it definitely was one of those. And it was like that throughout. I feel like the whole thing, even though the stories are obviously very different, like all of them are their own individual things, like mm -hmm. you said. Yeah. Um, they're all pretty, as you say, gut punching, mm -hmm. like especially as a woman, because you can relate to bits and pieces of all of them. Mm -hmm. Or at least know someone who can relate to bits and pieces of all of them. It's like, it's stories about all the women in our lives. Yeah. Um, and it's upsetting in a lot of it ways, is, but yeah. it's also, you know, it's, it's nice to see that written on the page sometimes and kind of know that we're all having a sh that sort of shared experience, mm -hmm. I guess. I did love how she, as a woman, began with such authority whilst also telling you that the women had no authority exactly yeah like that like that whole that was it and I did a similar thing I remember um seeing the cover of this book and sort of going to it like <laughs> I was being drawn in by something like what is this glowing siren of words <laughs> um and then opening the first page and then doing exactly that thing of like I'm in fine I have to buy this and it was exactly that thing of this this really strong authoritative female voice telling me that women had no voice yeah and that that juxtaposition just really was like yes this is what I want because this is an experience of 
power and the subordination of self which is so just constantly prevalent um I know so many strong women I'm sure we all do I'm sure we all are and yet at the same time someone else might tell you that you're not Mm -hmm. or society might tell you that you're not (laughs) or everything around you might tell you that you're not Mm -hmm. and I liked that that she literally hit you with that question of that and the the awareness of that and the understanding of that within like the first what five words or something. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a really interesting point because you know other people are, are often telling us as women that we are not but actually the worst perpetrator is ourselves and she really gets at that as well you know and the characters are all like looking for themselves in some way or trying to define themselves um they are trying to sort of work out what is real and what is not real and the importance of defining those realities and the boundaries of those realities for yourself and not allowing other people to do it for you. Um, and which all kind of culminates in the, the final story, which I always think is probably the weakest one, but is a perfect ending for this collection because it's, it feels more personal and, and real. It's, it's, you know, it's gone into um, some... I know that she... Um, applied for the the and was resident at the Millie Foundation uh, because I, I followed her like career with some interest and I, I'd, I'd also wanted to apply to the Millie Foundation at some point so I, I know that's probably what she was talking about in the story but it seems very drawn from real life um, so yeah it's just the stories are as you say like each is different but they all have these power struggles in them you know, they all, each character is really just trying to work out who they are. And I, I think you'd be hard pressed as a woman to read this collection and not see something of yourself in any of the stories and probably in more than most. You know, um, there is a, a prevalence of, of violence through them as well that we don't always talk about. It's not necessarily the overt violence of the of mothers, which is the story about the abusive uh, relationship that she that the character has with her female lover um, but even in the husband stage you know there is an overt violence with the husband who is sort of continually pressing this issue even though it makes her uncomfortable and the the relationship that they have is sort of shot through with this aggressive sexual violence anyway but it's this kind of this desire of other people to take from you that I thought was really interesting. And it doesn't really seem to get talked about a lot, but just the idea that other people are, are always trying to get something from you, mm-hmm. it kind of shoots through these stories as well. I think the moment in that story, um, because, I mean, I spoke about it in the synopsis, so listeners will have known, but um, the the woman has a green ribbon around her neck, so it harkens back to that like yeah. old story we were all traumatized with as children about the girl with the ribbon around her neck, mm-hmm. and when someone removes it, her head falls off. Um, so I kind of liked that. That was the minute where I was like, oh, it's like Angela Carter. We're taking things from other stories and we're putting them together. Mm-hmm. And um, But I think the moment it kind of hit me the most in that story was when she uh, she's going to the live drawing class. Yes. And just kind of mentions, oh, and her ribbon was on her ankle. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my God, all the women have ribbons, their yes. own ribbons in their own places. And that's just like par for the course. And I was just like, oh, OK, like that you know it's so much more than Mm -hmm. oh there's once was a girl with a ribbon it's like oh that ribbon represents like our womanhood and and our and that was just like that really just like hit me um and I was just 
stunned by it. Um, I found that story really um, uncomfortable, and it, because it what's the word? I think it felt so uncomfortable because actually it felt so simple mm. that throughout that whole story, I was thinking, but why can't I just say no? Like, why can that not be enough? Like, why, if I say no, don't do this, yeah. don't touch this, don't ask me about this. Yeah. If I say no, why is no, no, not okay? And that was the thing in that book that I found the most unsettling, mm-hmm. that no matter that that person had no autonomy because it, she couldn't simply just say, um, you know what, you can have anything you want, but don't don't have this, mm-hmm. don't touch this, this is mine. Like, why, like, that should just be enough. And when you open a collection with this really simple thing that yeah you have power up to this point but actually you don't get to make the final decision about yourself Mm -hmm. or your body these things are still in the hands of someone else no matter what choice you make for yourself that choice is not actually yours it just I I felt it, it felt incredibly tense yeah and it kind of opens you up to the rest of these stories where there's a lot of uh, like fading, disappearing, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there a lot in in all of these stories. Like your selfhood fades away, the person that you are disappears. You you are excluded or removed from. At some point, there is a point where you are erased in some way, and it begins with that thing of someone not just hearing the fact that you've made a choice about something, and then from that you're just eroded in in lots of different ways. Yeah, uh, I think that's really interesting, and I completely agree. It's this sense that a woman has to repeatedly say no. It's not just a no, it's not a one-time no, it's that she has to repeatedly make that assertion, and it's just not respected. So there's a, a level of, you know, again, power and respect going through that, where the the guys, especially in the husband's ditch, the husband is treating it, each interaction like it's a fresh one, but for her it's just an overarching like conversation um which is really frustrating um i also like the what i really liked as a writer um i know we've talked about the intro being so kind of attention grabbing and fantastic but as a writer looking at this and looking at the fact that it felt like stage directions was really interesting when you're writing a short story you are trying to grab an audience and get them in and you're trying to keep them in and engrossed in the story until the end and she doesn't do that you know you're expecting to have an audience engrossed you hold their attention and then at the end you let them go you release them and then they have time to think about what happened but you have to be keeping their attention throughout and she doesn't she she throws you off from the beginning and each time you start to get into the story she stops you and she orders you to do something uh, you know, an, another action, and of course, the actions that she's describing are increasingly outlandish, and and kind of sort of upsetting to both yourself and other people. There's one where she says, you know, fill up a jar with pennies and shake it unexpectedly near the face of someone you love, and they'll never look at you the same again. And you know, you you start by thinking like, well, I'm not going to do these things, but like, what if I did? You know, why would that happen? You know, would would it look like that? And it, it made me feel really complicit in those actions because I was actually starting to think like, oh, like, what if I did? You know, what if I could? You, you as a reader, you're actually being woven into the story um, rather than just let, just presenting it and, and letting the reader kind of take it how they will. 
and that it felt very manipulative but in a great way you know she, she's definitely moving you around like a chess piece and that and it's really jarring both as a reader and a writer for me to to do that I, I ended up reading um uh rereading this recently and then I wrote something myself which I kind of got the idea from for this because I, I wanted to repeatedly pull the reader out of the story whenever they were getting comfortable in it and it was the same kind of, it was like basically, uh, I described geological epochs in wine tasting terms, but with a dystopian framework. And that sounds insane, but I promise you it works. Um, and it, it did kind of work and it ended up getting published quite recently. And it was, I actually had submitted it somewhere before this all happened. So unfortunately, some of the things really looked like I had been writing it during this pandemic. And I felt really, I nearly asked them to pull it because I thought this is a bit close, actually. Um <laughs> bit uncomfortable but it, the idea was was from Machado so you know thanks Carmen um yeah. <laughs> well yeah I was gonna say I mean this uh, not that we have to go story by story because we'll be here all day mm -hmm. but the the second story I remember once again texting back as I do I just yell at her while I read things uh via via whatsapp <laughs> I remember being like well this story is a bit on the nose isn't it yes like, I we're, yeah. we're talking about all of our sexual encounters throughout life as the world's it falls victim to some horrible plague yeah. and or pandemic where everyone is dying. I was like, oh, this is a, once again, like the last book or the first, the first book we have done during this pandemic was a Holocaust suicide <laughs> memoir. Uh. Um, and, uh, and now there's pandemic yeah. stories in here and all sorts. I mean, when I, <laughs> when um, you guys uh, agreed to have a podcast in the first place, I was actually thinking, well, I'll do the husband stitch and, and actually maybe, focus on the SVU one but by the time I was rereading it I like got about two pages into inventory which is the pandemic one and I thought oh yeah there's no way we can we can talk about this book without kind of focusing on that um and honestly like in another writer's hands regardless of gender I think that the story idea itself just someone who's just listing off their their previous sexual encounters could have been just horrible like really dull really braggy but the fact that she's it, it's actually not it, it's the focus of the story but it's not the most interesting thing in the story because there is a pandemic happening <laughs> and actually I did wonder I picked up on this on my latest reread but it, it hadn't occurred to me before um in the husband stitch they actually refer to the events of inventory um oh. when she's um just after she's had the baby and right after the conversation with uh, between her husband and the doctor about the husband's stitch um yeah they, there is a two-line exchange where one of them says you know it's just a rumor and the other one is about to say the word virus and then she falls into unconsciousness and i thought you know it's really interesting that the husband stitch and inventory i think are in the same universe and some of the others i think are in the same universe as well. I don't think they're all in the same universe. Yeah, there's a couple of but... other things that pop up. Yeah. Which is really nice, actually, because I think sometimes with... I think one of the reasons that I sometimes struggle with short stories, like, like reading the odd one by itself is fine, but I think I struggle a bit with collections mm -hmm. because I don't... I, I like a narrative arc. I do mm -hmm. like a narrative arc and things, and I sometimes feel like I don't understand how they play together. Um, so I, I will pick one up and then I'll put it down and then I won't go back to that book and then I'll pick it up again. But I like I like this and I, I, I love Angela Carter because there is kind of those little little breadcrumbs dropped for you yeah. in places, which makes not only like 
add something to that story but then give something back to the story before or, or wherever that's come from mm. um and it, it's like getting an easter egg in is that the right yes, term? Oh god, yes. I just try to be pop culture, and that's really no, that's that's, that's that's right. That's 100% yeah. Yeah. right. Yeah. It's like when you get that thing, and you're like, oh, that is it. It suddenly like brings these things together, and it 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 almost creates a whole tiny little new narrative between these, um, these different mm-hmm. these different stories, which I really enjoyed in this because I almost felt like I I was let in on a secret that the characters didn't know exactly. at that moment. I was like, oh, that's that. <laughs> um, yeah, I really enjoyed that about this. I mean. Honestly, the the background of pandemic uh, of the pandemic in inventory is probably the more interesting story, but I think that it's been you know really overdone. You know, there there are a lot of stories about pandemics prior to this. Um, you know, yeah. I've I've written some things here about you know you can really choose from a wide variety of kind of pandemic, apocalyptic, dystopian fiction. You know if you're counting from a journal of the plague year by daniel defoe which was 1722 which i'm actually reading right now and it's horrendously you know accurate in some ways um and then you've got you know stephen king's the stand um emily st john mandel's station 11 um and various blindness oh i was in blindness by yeah what's the i read that one i like <laughs> actually i thought blindness was pretty good um, i really like blindness yeah um, I, I enjoyed it. I was reading an article got a few weeks back in pandemic. I don't remember. Like biggest <laughs> TV shows or films streamed from Netflix for like Contagion yeah. and, and all of these things. And I, I've never seen any of these things, but I quite like that people are kind of watching these like mega adventure, like lots of stuff's happening. And yet we're living a pandemic. And the reality of it is we'll sit in kitchen for two hours. We'll sit in living room for two hours. We'll dress in yoga clothes that I'm not actually going to function in. Like that's, And yet we've sort of gone out to look for this other reality to make the reality that we're living more exciting when all the pandemic is is sitting around and waiting. And yeah. <laughs> Do you have um, do you have a favorite story in this collection? Um, Is that like too much to ask to pick uh, just one? I don't know if I do. To be fair, I mean, I think the husband stitch probably, and that makes me feel incredibly basic to say that. But it is no. just, it's so. I agree. It's so good, and everything else is. I do find that with a lot of short story collections, I'm I'm like you, Becky. Like I don't really read that many short story collections because it has to be quite a cohesive whole and I often find yeah. that there are you know duds hidden among them the rest I do think there is that thing with that when short story collections don't necessarily have it doesn't even have to be as overt a strand but mm-hmm. like where it feeds into each other I feel more legitimate skipping than I would in yeah. A novel I feel like oh okay well I'm half like I'm two pages into this I'm not getting it I'll skip to the next one yeah um, and I don't mind doing that at all, whereas I wouldn't skip a chapter in... I mean, I, I, well, no, I don't think I ever have, but if I had, it would have to be a really good reason for it. Yeah. Whereas in a short story collection, I kind of feel like, I don't need to read this one. This one's the kind of filler one. I can go past it. Yeah, you're like, they're all their own individual pieces, therefore I can... Yeah. I'll read that later. Mm-hmm. Or I just, I just think it's a fantastic collection you know if you, you I think you at some point you you're gonna ask me who I'd recommend it to I was just gonna say yeah. like you kind of started there and I was like oh wait I want to yeah. okay. who would you recommend this book to and why so, okay <laughs> so um if anyone liked The Handmaid's Tale 
and they want to explore more of that kind of dark, overwhelming feeling of despair and this kind of dystopian uh, future, you will get that kind of feeling from these books. But it's shot through with really smart twists and, and gut punches in the prose itself. Um, I wouldn't recommend The Actual Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this is it's a great comparison because Carmen Marie Machado, her prose is smooth, it's fluid, even when she's describing something really genuinely terrible and despairing, she manages to make it beautiful and poignant in a way that, yeah, it just, you know, she, she can give you that crushing despair, but deliver it in a way that that, that you're receptive to, you know? It, it's not clunky, it flows incredibly well. There are points where I, like, took photos of a page of this book just to send it to people I know. Guilty. You know, yeah, it's just <laughs> do that it's, constantly. It's gorgeous prose. It really yeah. is. There's something as well about that thing of like when when someone is telling you something horrific, just get it over with. Just tell me the horrific thing. Mm. And I, I like that she just tells me the horrific thing. Like there's not all of this sort of like filibuster about it. It's just Here's a horrific thing. Oh, it's really shit, isn't it? Oh, well, never mind. The end. And then it moves on. Yeah. In that same way that Angela Carter's like, here it is. It's all awful. Oh, well. It, I like that because. And then he thrust into the dead girl, blah, blah, blah. Oh, the yeah. end. We're like, what? <laughs> what the? Yes. But I, I like that because also sometimes uh, sometimes things are just really shit and there's no, like, it doesn't matter how much sort of blather you put around it if the whatever the point you're getting to is crap it is just going to be crap and just get there I just want you to get there and be like here's a shit thing okay it's all cool that's just how it is that's just that's just what life is in this story Mm -hmm. no point dwelling on it the end off we go um but also she has a lovely way of words so it doesn't feel like drama 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 it feels like you know here here I'm gonna beautifully tell you something crap about the world and you'll reflect on it because I've told you in a way that will make you reflect on it. And then we'll move on. Yeah. There's a, a beauty in the way that she presents ugliness. I am very curious to hear what quotes you have chosen for us. Ah, so I actually chose one from uh, Mothers because I sort of felt that, you know, they're, they're, every page of this book is quotable. It was really, really difficult to narrow it down. Yeah. But I thought this was a, a particular... Um, can I do the, the paragraph? Or do you want God, a smaller? Yeah, yeah, okay. You can read so. the whole book if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, see this accent? It lets me get away with a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from Mothers, which is uh, the, the short story where she experiences, where she recollects the bad relationship that she had that was abusive. And she's made a a child with her female partner. So... I'm going to skip the the part right before where there's a lot of screaming and swearing. I crawled to the bathroom and locked the door. From the outside, she rained punches into the wall like a hailstorm, and I turned on the shower and undressed and stepped inside. I'm a cancer, a water baby, always. For a moment, I was there. The Indiana woods, the rain striking the leaves, the gentle Sunday morning drizzle during which we slept, only waking to see a sleepy preteen Mara come in complain about a nightmare, and curl into her arms. This will not always last. One day she will be too big for this, and for us, her old mothers. Then the not memory washed away like a wet painting in a storm. 
and I was in the shower shaking, and she was outside losing me, and there was no way for me to tell her not to. There was no way for me to tell her that we are so close. We are so close. Please don't do this now. We are so fucking close. That is just beautiful. And it's, it presents ugliness beautifully, is, is the best thing I can say about it. Yeah. Wow. That's a complete gut punch. <laughs> now I feel right. like this, this whole collection for me, it was, I think Beck said, it was very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. very unsettling. Yeah. And so even that, that small portion just kind of gave me that sinking feeling again, which sounds like a feeling you don't want, but it's so amazing when some writing can affect you that much. And so I do love it. And I, I think most of the stories in this collection are, and certainly the ones which are the most uncomfortable, are so because they are they happen. They're really they're 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 very true to life. Often, yeah. You know, there are um, many 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 upsetting amount of people in or with experience of abusive relationships and throughout so many of these stories people that have real life experiences of the things that she's talking about Mm -hmm. and that's where they feel the most uncomfortable certainly when I was reading it it was like oh I know that thing Mm -hmm. um and that's that's why I think because you know it's really easy sometimes to um because even I was just looking at the back of of this and it tells me that it's like horror and fantasy and all it gives me a nice bunch of little genres which remove it from reality mm-hmm. and actually the the thing that is the most powerful and uncomfortable and emotive in this are the connections with reality yeah and the really the the normative narrative of it all like so much of it is so real life and it it uses those is horrific or fantastical whatever else tropes to kind of deliver something that is really difficult for us to stand with and hold in in real life because it's it's hard and she uses those as as tools to tell those stories but actually the stories themselves are very normal real life and that's that's the power of it really I think I'm, I think I'm I'm gonna say let's wrap it up on on that awesome. before we say goodbye though Linz mm-hmm. um Obviously, you've got some awesome works coming out and things that have already been published. Where can people find you and your stuff online? Um, I have a, my own website, which I designed, which is why it looks a bit weird. Um, it's uh, uk, And I'm also on Twitter, at linsmcleod, and uh, where I, I share memes, um, mostly self-deprecating, and sometimes I really mean it. And uh, <laughs> and uh, it's um, at the moment I'm mostly sharing pictures of food, cat, and memes. So you know, if you like those things, um, I'm also choosing to respond a lot solely in Brooklyn Nine Nine gifts. So Amazing. that's been that's been Gina Linetti is um, my soul sister. But yeah. So yeah, um, my my work is available there um, on the website. Anything that's published, um, I've had uh, prose and poetry published, and I've got some things coming out. I've got a couple of poems coming out with um, Hellebore Press, and I have a new story coming out with um, Mookie Chick, which should be coming out in the next week or so. Which you know, of course, is horrendous and and. Um, not a necessarily pleasant read it's sort of a relationship breaking down in a car with a lot of roadkill happening around it so 
you know I do write I nice I occasionally write really nice things um so I wrote a, a story for the Scottish Book Trust uh which is more a comedy thing um so I do occasionally write nice things as well are the murders in that one a lot more slapstick or... to be fair people do die in it but it is a lot more yeah. <laughs> I only realized that after someone challenged me to find one of my stories where nobody died and I could <laughs> but and then he fair... fell on the banana skin <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Linz, it has been an absolute pleasure. We have talked for a really long time and I feel like given the opportunity, we could continue to talk for yes, even longer. Really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me. This has been super fun and, and it's been nice yeah. to talk to real people. So I know. Yeah, <laughs> oh my God, that's such a bad thing these days. Thank you for listening, friends. Thank you. <laughs> um, I We hope that you are staying safe, staying sane, all of that jazz. Um, if you need to chat, <laughs> come join our <laughs> Facebook group. Uh, we're in there just talking about stuff, books mainly, but we can talk about anything you like. Uh, so join us in there. Follow us on Instagram uh, at Yowpod, on Twitter at Yowpod. Um, and the best thing you can do to help other people find the podcast is to um, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, it's super awesome. So please take a moment uh, to do that. We know you have a moment or two to spare these days. <laughs> yeah, and if you would like to come and isolate with us, then you can apply to be a guest on yowpod.com. Let us know what your book is. It can be any book of any genre, length, style, whatever the hell you love. <laughs> we'll probably love it too. It's going really well at the moment. Um, so yeah, come and come and be a guest and give us more things to read now that we have time on our hands. Yes, please. Uh, and if you'd like to support us in paying for this new software that we are using <laughs> for isolation recording or uh, any of that, um, you can jump on Patreon, um, patreon.com slash yowpod. Um, you can donate as much or as little as you like. You can get badges, bookmarks, all sorts of fun extra content from us. Um, and uh, that really would help us out a great deal. So please consider that uh, if you haven't already. It's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, our brains are totally functioning in lockdown. Don't worry about mm -hmm. us. We know all of the wow words. Yep. We're going to keep using them. Um, We'll see, you. we'll see you here in two weeks' time. See, see you here. Okay, bye. Bye. Your Own Words is hosted by Alison Dunnings and Becky Graham. It is recorded in London at the Pitch Room in Runway East, Soho. Theme song by Natasha Pasternak. Read along with us at yowpod.com.